This is Watch the Media. I'm John Schrader. We come your way from the University of Nebraska-Lincoln in the College of Journalism and Mass Communications, the studios of 90.3 FM KRNU. My name's Irvin Ramirez Benavides. I was born here in Grand Island, Nebraska. I am currently a senior in community health and wellness here at the University of Nebraska-Lincoln. Most people aren't gonna ask about documentation. You know, that's a very person-to-person -to -person type of topic. You know, I've learned to be comfortable with it because that's the reality. We shy away from speaking on that than um, we're sh shying away from who we are. You know, that is one of our our labels as our community and it's one of our the things that that is one of the actual struggles that my people face so not talking about it kind of just adds to it because especially with immigration a lot of it that whole concept of immigration gets talked about like it's just statistics right like it's just a number but I feel if people knew more of the actual story behind the, why people come here or and why they're and put faces to to the names and faces to the stories, then people believe in people more than they do in, in numbers, right? So um, that's kind of why I've learned to become comfortable with using uh, my story and using my parents' um, documentation because because that is what I've had to go through. That is what I've had to experience, and and me leaving that out would be a discredit to kind of some one of the major adversities that we've had to face. We're chatting now with Irvin Ramirez Benavides, a senior at the University of Nebraska, who I believe if I can um, speak for you just briefly and let you uh, uh, clear it up, but you went to school to go into the health business and you may be le leaving school as a media guy. Is that sum it up simply? Yeah, you got the latter part is correct. I actually first started going to school to go to law school. Like I wanted to be pre-law to start with. And then we've gotten quite a bit away from that now. So what made you decide not to do law? How did that come about? Um, you know, I was exploring law schools my first two years of college, and um, I liked the thought of going to law school, but then the more I thought about it, the more I realized I was just doing it for the title. Like, I got, kind of fell in love with the whole concept of, like, I just wanted to be known as a lawyer, and um, but I realized that I couldn't see myself actually enjoying that profession. Um, and it took visiting a couple of law schools through a couple of different programs here on campus. Um, that made me realize like, yeah, I don't think this is for me. So now mm -hmm. you pivoted from being a lawyer to a community health and wellness major. How did that come about? Yeah. So heading into my, at the end of the, my sophomore year, after I decided, hey, I don't think law school is what I'm, I want to do. Um, I started exploring other avenues and health and fitness was something that I was pretty, pretty passionate about, especially going, getting out of my sophomore year. Um, I was going to get to intern uh, back home in Grand Island, and I was like, hey, maybe this is what I want to go into. And then, so I picked community health and wellness because I didn't want to do nutrition, exercise, and health science because they had just too much, uh, too much science, too much OCHEM, 
biochem. Uh, and I just was not interested in having to take those classes. So I decided to take the community health um, avenue because I just thought it'd be a little bit easier, to be honest with you. And um, mm -hmm. so then I headed down because at first I thought I, w I wanted to be a like strength and conditioning coach for like a high school. Um, but yet still, we're not there either. So uh, it's still kept evolving as to what I wanted to do. So from that, you kind of wander into the media and you start creating podcasts and video and you, you start a YouTube channel. How did that pivot come about? Yeah, so I, as I was going through, through this new major of community health and wellness, um, I enjoyed what I was learning. I thought a lot of the health disparities type of material was things that I, I lived through myself right? Like a lot of it was like, yeah, I can, I remember back when I was little and how to do this or like, oh, we struggled to do that. And, um, and it was super interesting to kind of figure that out. But it was after I took um, physiology um, last summer that I was really like, well, I love what I'm learning, but I have no clue what I want to do as far as the profession goes with this, right? Like I could do like nonprofit work or I could do like social work or something like that, but I wasn't sure. So I've kind of, I had talked to a few other people regarding kind of what I was learning and um, they've all, they always enjoyed listening to what I was kind of telling them about. So I was like, Hey, um, I just recently learned about these nine dimensions of wellness um, that are highlighted here at the university and, and in my major specifically. And I was like, why not, um, why not explore these topics a little bit more, maybe make a podcast, um, it seems pretty pretty easy to get get one started. I was listening to a lot of Gary uh, Vaynerchuk stuff at that at that time, and uh, he pushes a lot. It's like, hey, if you want to make a podcast or you want to get a message out there, just just do it. And he he talks about the Anchor podcast a lot, Anchor app, and that's kind of what I used. And it was very simple. You just hit record, and then you edit it on there, and then it puts it out for you. So it's very minimal effort to get that done. Um, and I was like, yeah, let's, let's go ahead and do it. I'll, I'll start with these nine dimensions of wellness, kind of talk about them, say what they are, and then kind of see where, where it goes from there. So the, the technical part of it, the software and the technology part of it was relatively easy. Did you mm -hmm. teach yourself then how to be a podcast performer? And how did that come about? Oh, yeah, big time. Um, yeah, I had no idea what I was doing uh, to start with when it came to recording myself speak. Um, I'd never done something like that, you know, maybe like in school, maybe in high school or middle school, you had to do a couple of recordings of yourself doing something for, for, for a class, but never had I thought like, well, how do I even convey a message just purely through, through my words, right? So it was more of a trial and error, just kind of see what worked, what didn't, um, just try to be as authentic as I could, um, and would hope that that would translate over with what I was saying but yeah a lot of it was just self-thought or and just that trial and error type of so let me ask you to be a critic of yourself are you are you any good at it yet are you comfortable with your work uh I'm a lot more comfortable doing it uh you know whether I'm good at it I guess that's that's other people's um decision to make but um yeah I feel a lot more comfortable uh speaking just into a microphone or into a camera which uh Last year at this time, I, could, I couldn't say that. So at least we've grown a little bit. Yeah. What kind of reaction do you get and, and from whom? Uh, and maybe in that same part of that question is, who's your audience? 
Yeah, so at first, last year, I didn't really have a specific audience, right? I was just kind of putting this out there because I just wanted to, to share the information. I didn't know who, who was going to respond, who was going to, if anybody was even going to listen to it, right? Because that was a possibility. Maybe nobody even checks it out or, or anything. Um, but I had a lot of success, especially, well, relative success in, in that first nine weeks or so with just my peers, just other college students. Um, I had people reach out to me that I hadn't even talked to in a couple of years that said, thank you for, for talking about these things. So it's something that, you know, I had been thinking about, but didn't know how to explore it. Um, but I would say my, my audience was just mainly around just other college students. Um, your time in college can be very difficult, very confusing. So I think they kind of gravitated towards kind of how to live a more well-rounded life in general. And I guess fast forward now, a year later, uh, for a lot of our con my content is still revolves around the college students, um, just kind of young people in general, because I think it's who it benefits the most. Um, other than my Spanish series, that's kind of dedicated to to my people, my Spanish speaking people, and that well, that was more started because of my mom. So uh, that's kind of who that's geared more towards. Yeah, I want to talk about that in a minute. Um, but um, as as this has evolved. Was this a conscientious um, decision on your part to do podcasting about something you're really passionate about? Because that's really the way it works. You know, you, you have to have something that's deep inside of you, or you're not going to be able to spend 30 or 40 minutes, 10 times, 100 times, 1,000 times talking about it. So you knew you wanted to talk about something that was important to you, right? Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, for sure. Um, you know, like I said, with that first episode, which was on career well-being, I thought... Um, hey, let's give this a try. I like this information. I think it's important for other people to know about it too. So let's see how, how it goes. It wasn't until either the second or third episode when I do emotional well-being, where I kind of tell my life story in that episode. And I choke up a couple times and almost start crying during that conversation. And after I got that done and posted, that's when I was like, this is something I, I really enjoy doing. And I think I could have an impact with what I'm doing. Um, and it made me take the rest of the episodes a little more seriously and feel just more personally invested into it, which I, which I guess worked because I'm still doing them now. So now you'd like to make this a, a career. You'd like to have a media company and, and do this. Is that, is that the purpose now? Yeah, that's the goal. And how have you um, set about doing that? So at first, um, you know, it's not like I have anybody that I'm, necessarily following or asking for advice um you know I, I probably should get a mentor of some sort but doing this whole thing is a is a is kind of a difficult thing to just find a mentor out of nowhere uh, that will help you get through all this stuff um especially the youtube realm um it's still a fairly new thing you know it's very it's very popular but getting into it is is quite a quite a roller coaster of things to kind of do to be successful on there um Right now, I'm just kind of mainly working on building the brand, building the just the audience in general. And then as far as expanding my skills, I take a couple courses, like YouTube courses on how to better structure YouTube content, how to kind of learn the quote unquote YouTube, YouTube algorithm, you know, kind of just know what works, what doesn't, how to properly base, I mean, how to properly name your videos, tags, things like that. 
because that's the thing you don't think about when you go into YouTube. You just think, hey, you yeah, post this video and then it goes viral. It does its thing. Um, you know, there's so many intricacies behind the scenes that are going on. So that's kind of one thing that I'm doing to to expand my skills on that. And then with film editing or audio recording, that's just kind of self-taught taught and just kind of exploring what I, what I could find as far as kind of ex- expanding my realm there. So let's talk a little bit about those, uh, those programs you produce. Um, the um, uh, YouTube, let's, let's talk first of, of all about the YouTube. Tell us yep. what they are and, and what you're doing with them. Sweet. So I have four, four videos that I post weekly, basically. Uh, the first two are on Monday and Tuesday. And those are just me based. It's just me speaking on a couple different things. And then um, Thursday, Friday are more of my podcast area stuff. So we'll start, go ahead and, and start early in, in the week with the, my Monday series, which is called Monday Motivation. Um, that's a short video that I put out on Mondays, you know, five to 10 minutes that just all about information to help you set up your week for success. Um, whether it's how to wake up early or how to set goals, how to, um, you know, how to up, up, approach situations with a clear mind. Did you know that on average, people will spend over 90,000 hours of their life at work? That's over 10 years straight of just working. That's a long time, especially if you hate what you're doing. So with that in mind, I decided to kick off this new mini-series over the nine dimensions of wellness right here with career well-being. So what's up y'all, welcome back to another Monday Motivation video. I am your host, Irvin Ramirez, here with Feel Good Digital Media. You know, I'm really excited to kick things off with career well-being. And then right now I'm re-going through the nine dimensions of wellness um, to explore that topic again, because now it's kind of one year later, see where I'm at, um, as far as that content goes. So Monday motivation is just kind of what it, what it says is motivation for your Monday, since that's people's hardest, hardest days. And I think it is just a good way to start your week off. Um, and then, so Tuesdays is, is my cafe con pan. Uh, yes, it does translate into coffee with bread. Uh, but it's a very common phrase using in the Spanish speaking world, um, a lot of conversations are had over a cup of coffee and then some pan dulce. Hola, bienvenidos a otro episodio de Café con Pan. Este episodio quiero hablar de algo que, que apenas he, he estado pensando en los últimos días y últimas semanas. Um, nuestra cultura hispana está llena de tradiciones que son pasadas. I started that again because um, my mom, my mom wanted to know what I was talking about in all these videos that I was making um, because she doesn't speak English. So then I was like, I got you, mom. I'll make a, I'll make a video series in Spanish and then we'll see kind of how it goes. And the whole concept of that one is to kind of bring generations together. I'm a first generation student myself. You know, a lot of learning that I did in this country is a lot different than what my parents are used to. Right. And so there was a big disconnect at times, just um, as far as far as like societal norms and things like that, that, you know, we kind of had to work through since I was the oldest. I kind of had to be the one that was a trial 
kind of the guinea pig really on how things worked here. So, you know, I wanted to help people in that transition a little bit better. So those videos kind of consist of, you know, why it's important to kind of speak to children right now, especially with all the different movements that are going on, you know, we're in a pandemic, kind of how, how you can learn from each other during this time, why it's important to stay connected. Um, another one is diet and, diet and exercise. That goes back to, to my community health and wellness type of thing. You know, um, the Hispanic community suffers through a lot of health concerns. So that video was mainly to just give a few quick tips on just diet um, tricks or exercise tricks to kind of just help people be a little more active and be a little more conscious of what they're eating. Because like I said in that video, I think that Hispanic people have the best food, but it's not usually the healthiest food to eat. So um, just a few pointers there on what we can do, just, just small things to kind of help us out. What's up, everyone? Welcome back to another episode of Thought Provoking Conversations. This is the umpteenth time we've done these episodes. Uh, oh. Umpteenth <laughs> time. Who knows how many we're at, but uh, I think 14, which is uh, quite a bit. I'm proud of us for sticking through this. For this. On Thursday, I put out my thought-provoking conversation. That is a, a video series that I do with a with a fraternity brother of mine, uh, who I've known since my freshman year of college. That series first started just as having, kind of like the name say, says, just thought-provoking conversations. We kind of did some self-reflection, self-identity type of things. Looked at um, just kind of how we can grow mentally and spiritually and just overall as people and just expand ourselves to as much knowledge as we could but it's also evolved into highlighting other hispanics specifically uh hispanic males in in higher professions we saw that in nebraska well growing up in nebraska we never saw people that look like us be in quote-unquote successful positions you know we didn't have our first teacher of color until we got to college you know we didn't um you know uh he likes to highlight he didn't meet his first hispanic doctor until he was a senior in college so since we don't since we we think like it would have been very beneficial to have seen just someone that looked like us in all these positions we wanted to highlight those so we've had different people come on whether it's our, one of our mentors here at the university his name's moy padilla as you know him uh, he's the current director of the Nebraska College Preparatory Academy. We've had, um, you know, groundwork uh, people. We've had um, just anybody that's in, in those kind of positions. We've had middle school principals. We've had other media people or activist people. Just as many people as we can highlight just to kind of hear their stories as well and just be able to to share their accomplishments that, you know, don't really get talked about enough. And then lastly, that that Friday, I usually put out the actual Mindcation podcast, which is a podcast that I do with three other of three other friends, um, which is what the original podcast kind of morphed into. Uh, no, but hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Mindcation. Uh, if you're watching on on YouTube, you can see our fellow members here trying to flex on the on the screen was me uh, 
<laughs> it's definitely just aimed towards college students, specific, specifically college guys. We kind of just mess around, talk about what's going on in the world. We talk about the sports world, but we mainly focus around the the lifting and and exercise world. Um, we talk about a lot of that stuff. We talk about our own training and kind of the ups and downs that we have going on there. And then, yeah, we just kind of talk about whatever kind of comes to mind on that one. That one's just more for fun and to keep things uh, entertaining. Irvin Ramirez Benavides is a community health and wellness major here at the University of Nebraska and an emerging media mogul who um, has discovered uh, video and audio as uh, uh, tremendous ways to uh, communicate uh, with his audience and uh, share what he knows and what's important to him. I'm John Schrader, and this is Watch the Media. So wh where do you hope this goes next? You're graduating in December. Uh, wh what do you hope is the next step? My next step is basically what the spring semester would be is to dedicate myself to going full-time here on YouTube and creating media, right? I'm giving myself that, those five to six months to, to really put in the work, see, see what comes of me dedicating my, entire, my entirety of just doing that. Because right now it's difficult with classes and, you know, with the semester, can't really go invest as much time as I would like to and still graduate. <laughs> um, mm -hmm. so, so I'm giving myself that next semester to just really dive in and learn as much and, and do as much as I can. And then depending on where I'm at in May, um, I would still like to pursue a master's degree. And I would like to do that through like a grad position at the, at the campus recreation center, which is where I've worked for most of my college undergrad. And, um, but those type of positions won't open up again until after the spring semester. So that's kind of why I'm like, all right, let's go dive in into doing this into the spring semester. And then afterwards, and I'll, then I'll apply to those positions and um, see, see if I can get one of those. Uh, if not, then I'll just keep doing this. And then, you know, if I have to get a side job and to support it, then that's fine. But, um, you know, basically whatever it takes to, to get it done but that's kind of what the next wave uh, i guarantee is you going to look like ervin you will not be the first person nor the last who had to get a side job to uh help uh um support uh, his or her um start in the media business in fact oh, that's sure. almost the way everybody <laughs> starts so youtube is what you're learning and you do some audio podcasting as well did you ever consider the idea of of traditional media um and do you watch much traditional media do you think that's an avenue for whatever it is you'd like the world to know um you know i haven't really put too much thought into like traditional media just for the fact that I don't really consume it too much in general you know everything I kind of I kind of look at and especially people my age kind of look at is just all online stuff like podcasts are, are really growing and just YouTube in general is just growing that that's kind of where I, I focused on um I mean I'm not opposed to using traditional media as well but that's just something that I hadn't really put too much emphasis on so far you mentioned that there are not a lot of people in authority figures, uh, doctors and professors and, you know, people of color, Latinx, Hispanic, 
whatever until you went to college or until you got older. Mm -hmm. Do you see in the media you consume, do you see many people who, as you say, and, and I would suggest, who look like you, who have your experiences, do you see many people like that? Not necessarily as far as speaking the, about the content that I'm putting out. Um, mm -hmm. And that's kind of another reason why I wanted to start it because, I mean, someone has to go first, right? So mm -hmm. uh, if that's me, then so be it. But yeah, like a lot of the content that I consume is it's a lot of motivational stuff or a lot of just different like TED talk like things um, where it's just exploring different um, big major topics. And for the most part, especially specifically like the motivational, I don't see people that look like me a lot. You know, I don't see Hispanic people in that realm basically at all. I remember one time we we're looking at TED talks and, and it took a, we found one TED talk in total that had like anybody that was Spanish of Spanish speaking, you know, and I, I, I was just pretty surprised, you know, because those things are pretty famous. They get used a lot. And then I kind of asked the question, is it that people that look like me aren't doing those or they're just not highlighted, you know, they're just not out there as much. So so the short answer is no, I don't really see people that look like me in the kind of content I consume, but um, I'm still, that, that's almost as a, as a motivation to kind of keep me going to kind of make it there so that I, so at least there's at least one person that's out there doing it. So what kind of content do you consume? What kinds of places are you not seeing people who look like you? So I spend um, my time a lot on YouTube, a lot of different YouTube channels, um, watch a lot of sports uh, related channels, um, but then I watch a lot of content by like Tom Bill Yu. I don't know if you've heard of Impact Theory. Um, he's the founder of Quest, and now he does um, he does a show that where he talks with a lot of just people in general that are I would I would say kind of like masters in their field, you know, mm -hmm. and has a lot of super just thought provoking conversations, I would say, a lot of intriguing subjects. So that's a lot of, um, of the things that I kind of look at. I also look at a lot of podcasts or listen to a lot of podcasts like the Joe Rogan type of podcast or Jay Shetty. Um, so a lot of those, I guess I gravitate towards people that have very in-depth conversations is kind of what I go to, go to. And then when I, I want to not have to think too much i'll go into the sports world and just kind of keep up with what's going on there so how are you going to turn this how are you going to change this how are you going to improve it how are you going to make it so that um, you are not an anomaly so that you're not a, a pioneer so that you're not the guy who is um uh, hey here's this hispanic guy from nebraska who's creating media on youtube um mm -hmm. And, and you are one of a whole bunch of people who are doing what you do. How, how are you going to turn that? Um, that's a very good question. Um, mm -hmm. You know, I think it all starts, at least one of my, my biggest goal is to kind of inspire the next generation, right? I have younger siblings and I know how much they look up to me as far as things go. And I come, up, come from a community that did a lot for me. Um, that really helped set me up to where I'm at right now. So one of my biggest goals from succeeding in with this media company is to help give back to those communities and kind of help them dream bigger, 
and see that it's possible for them to be whatever they want. Because a lot of a, a lot of it, especially you know the Hispanic community, just like I said, they don't see somebody that works like them, or they come from a family that all they did is work at meat packing plants, and that they think that that's what they're gonna that's what they're, they're gonna do their whole life too. And I want them to think like, no, you don't have to do that. You can go to a college. You know, you can go to a trade school. You can get, you know, you could you could do whatever you want. You you can be a doctor. You can be a lawyer, or you know, you could be whatever you want to be the way that I want to succeed and the way I want to make this all work is through inspiring the next generation and then just doing as much community work in those areas as I could. Irvin Ramirez Benavides is with us. I'm John Schrader and this is Watch the Media. You mentioned early in this conversation that you got very emotional um, in your emotional well-being conversation when you talked about my life story is the way you put it. As much as you'd like to share with us, can you tell us what your life story is? Yeah, so I can um, give you a quick rundown of that. So I was born here in Grand Island, Nebraska, but when I was one-ish or so, we moved back to Mexico and um, lived there for seven, eight years. I think we came back when I was around eight or nine. But that last year before coming back to Nebraska was, I think, where I had to grow up. It's kind of where I ended up setting myself apart from people my age at that time and really kind of set my, my mindset in general going forward and still today. Um, I still remember the conversation very vividly where one night um, my parents are talking and my dad is saying how he's going to come to the United States and um, how he, you know, he'll come, he'll come here first and then, you know, we'll join him later. And little did we know that was going to be 11 months later, but um, we, so my, after that conversation, I think a couple of days pass and then one night I go to bed and, and then the next night he's gone. He's just, he had to leave that night. And uh, uh, I was kind of told that this was going to happen, but even at that age, I didn't really understand what that meant, um, that he was going away. I thought, you know, maybe a couple days, you know, a couple of weeks at most, but, you know, I never imagined it being a couple months. Um, so then, you know, when he was gone, that was very difficult uh, for me. Um, and my family, my mom had just had my little baby brother. So we had a, a, a baby with us. And so those, those whole 11 months were trying to sell our house there. You know, when once we did, we were living um, couch to couch with my mom's family. Um, you know, I had to take care of, of my, my little baby brother when he went away, um, when my mom went to work. One of the things I remember is my dad would, you know, send money every Friday and um, I would have to go to the store, like a little, just a little like convenience store that was right around the corner of our house and, and just buy a couple of things and, and kind of buy it on credit. Be like, you know, my dad, my dad sent us money on Friday. We'll pay you on Friday. And they knew our family. So they were fine with that and helped us out. But, um, you know, having to, having to do that, having to walk, three to four miles to put our 
to put our house on on an ad for the newspaper because that's how, how things got done back back then um so you know having to do that you know and just walking walking everywhere where i'm from where i lived there was chihuahua chihuahua which is the capital of the state of chihuahua which is right under texas and um you know it's probably the size of lincoln or so maybe slightly bigger but yeah, that whole, that whole year was just very difficult because it never felt like we had a home anymore. Since we were bouncing around back and forth so much between different houses, it always just felt like, well, where do I, you know, I don't have a home. I, feel like, I was like, are we homeless? It's like kind of, you know. I took it upon myself during that time to, to do as much as I could because I was quote unquote the man of the house, right? Uh, and just try to help my mom as much as I can because I could see how much she was struggling as well. You know, uh, my my mom and dad had been together for for a good while there, and I was like, well, I know how difficult it is for me to not have my dad. I can imagine how difficult it can be for her to not have her husband with her. So, you know, I did as much as I could, and that's where I felt like I had to grow up. For a while, I had to stop thinking I was a kid and start thinking just how do I do more type of thing um, you know I wasn't worried about where I was going to go play next you know I was worried about what bill am I going to help pay next type of mentality when we came here I still remember as we're getting into the van to drive up to Nebraska um, I'm looking at at our house like my grandma grandparents house and I'm kind of looking at my family and I'm sitting there the door of the van's open and I'm kind of looking at them and I just start bawling like I still vividly remember how much I was crying and then um, as I'm waving goodbye and then my little brother's next to me and he's looking at me and then my mom looks at me and it's just like how like I need you to be strong for him I need you to to get it together basically just so that he knows that things are going to be okay and then you know I kind of calmed down as much as I could and you know just kind of smiled at my little brother and he kind of gave me this look of just it's going to be he told me basically it's going to be okay which made me feel better and then and then we moved then we kind of left and then you know we made our track up here and and then, you know, seeing my dad for the first time was just crazy. It was, it's hard to explain just how much joy you get from seeing your, your dad after that long. Um, and we just lived here in a trailer home. And my parents still live in a trailer home back in Grand Island. Um, we had to move around a couple of times because there were some immigration issues. Um, so my dad was using fake papers at the time. And the pa guy's papers that he was using was wanted in Texas for murder. Uh, <gasps> So that complicated things a lot. Um, so we had to move. And then um, during kind of the whole schooling, um, Grand Island got hit with the ice raid. Um, I guess it, it would have been maybe 12 years ago now, maybe a little bit more than that, where they went to the meatpacking plant there and took away two to 300 people, I think. 
and luckily my dad was able to he was working there at the time but he was able to get out or get out early enough that he was able to avoid it but I remember classmates of mine or people that I knew whose parents didn't get the chance to go pick him up after school right the kids were just left without a dad or a mom and um you know that's still very much imprinted in in my head and in a lot of people in that community yeah so just a lot of ups and ups and downs that we've had to go through um there's my dad was helping build the state fair barns i don't know if you've ever been out to ground for the mm-hmm. state fair and um he fell off um kind of like a big forklift with the basket and mm-hmm. kind of fell off and the basket itself fell on his leg and broke his leg um there when i was like in eighth grade and and he was fine uh he was able to recover but since he was undocumented couldn't get insurance couldn't do anything so uh, his boss was kind enough to help pay with for some of the medical bills but you know he didn't he couldn't get unemployment or he couldn't get any type of benefits that way so you know, we really struggled financially at that time, you know. Um, so my mom had to pick up some extra jobs. I did as much as I could. I mean, I was only an eighth grader, so not like I could really get a job. So, you know, mowed lawns or detasseled, as we can do here. In, but it's only in the summers. Um, so that was another kind of rough patch of things that we had to go through. And, you know, I'm still very fortunate. I'm still very happy of the way I was raised and the situations I was in because, you know, it kind of helped shape who I am today and and really kind of allowed me to look at what the world is like at a very young age. And, um, and it, it, it inspired me to want to make sure I help other people that are in, in those kind of situations. So you're comfortable um, talking about this, and it, it, it honestly is not a, a, a unique and not necessarily an unusual story for uh, people coming to the U.S. Uh, from Mexico and other places. Um, did it take a while for this to all get sorted out? And, and you seem to be somewhat comfortable sharing this story, and, and, and maybe it's because it all worked out okay. Mm-hmm. But, but um, how long did it take you to get comfortable with sharing that story and, 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 and making people understand who you are, where you came from. I assume you came here and didn't speak English, right? You were born here, but Correct. Yeah, you didn't, I didn't speak even English when you that. came back, right? And so, mm-hmm. you know, how long has it taken you in this sort of cathartic experience to, to, to be able to share eloquently the story of who you are and where you came from and what your family is and what they mean to you? I mean, I feel like it's taken me a while. Um, I don't think... I was truly started feeling comfortable speaking about my story and going into more detail than just saying I lived there and came here and yeah, you know, I didn't know English and then I learned English. Um, I would say my freshman year of college is kind of where I first experienced it. I had an English class um, where our professor was very, very open and, and very encouraging to, for us to share our stories and share our views in a, in a safe environment a lot of that class was just discussion based or just be basically in a circle in our desk and just be talking about things. And all of those things were um, kind of relevant to what was going on at the time. So we just kind of had open discussions, you know, whether we agreed or disagreed, we were able to have just good conversations with each other, which 
was really awesome because I don't think uh, at the time I never thought I had an experience like that before so it was really cool to finally get that and our final paper I think it was our final paper we had to write about something about our own life and that's when I wrote a paper comparing the movie Interstellar to my experience or coming to the U.S. you know the whole kind of having to find a new planet new world to live in because yours is in shambles basically. And um, the sacrifice that um, that the main character makes, you know, leaving his kids behind and and his family and not, not knowing whether he was gonna get to see him again or not was something that really resonated with me because that's, that's what a lot of the Hispanic experience is like. Moms leave, dads leave, you know, and to hope to try to make more money to help their family and sometimes you get reunited you know a year later sometimes five ten or maybe never that's when I first really started exploring the concept of me just sharing my story and then throughout my college experience I've had to share my story in different avenues and different events or with different people and it's made me more comfortable uh, telling my story um, but yeah, it's definitely something that I've kind of had to practice over the last few years to even remotely get comfortable. Because when you talk about your parents being undocumented, it's not something that's just easy to say that. Uh, some people don't even know what that means. Some people get automatic um, stereotypes in their mind when they hear that, that concept. Uh, so I have to be able to prepare myself to, to speak on that, um, which I feel comfortable now, but it wasn't always that way for sure. So I would guess there are a lot of Nebraskans uh, like you, about 10 to 11% of the population of Nebraska in 2020 are Latino, Hispanic um, um, uh, heritage. Um, so there are a lot of people who have stories like you. Um, how do we and how well have we in the media in this state recognized that and try to tell honest stories about you and, and people who are uh, have the same experiences? I wouldn't say our experience is highlighted very often. You know, I think there are just very, there's some instances where it's get brought up. Um, one thing, like I talked about the ice raids, um, that's something that was covered very extensively back then. And um, one thing I appreciated was just how much they emphasized like the families being broken up because a lot of the times where things like that happen, the narrative is like, oh, we're getting bad people out of here. You know, they're just breaking the law and things like that. But they focus more on the emotional aspect of what it was like to, for those kids to have their parents be gone, you know, for their siblings to be gone, which I was really thankful for because that's what, you know, that's what my neighbors were going through. You know, that's what my, our church community was going through. Um, but I would say overall for as big as a Hispanic population there is in Grand Island specifically, um, I don't think growing up, they did a, a great job kind of displaying that. I don't, I don't know what it is like now, you know, I don't live there anymore and don't necessarily keep up with their media a whole lot, but, um, at least back then it wasn't a super forefront, um, conversation topic, but, um, I think we were slowly progressing towards covering it a little bit better, but I think we're still far behind the curve. 
uh, on that. And I think Nebraska in, in general is not exposed to a whole lot of diversity uh, as far as other states in, in the U.S. goes or coastal states. So it makes sense that we'll be behind the curve because it's just not as permanent. But, um, you know, being the ones that live here, you kind of wish it was going a little bit faster. But um, mm -hmm. I, I still get how, how that all works. So not a lot on television, not a lot in the newspapers, though you don't really read traditional newspapers or watch traditional television or probably don't even listen to traditional radio, but in social media and on YouTube and at other places, uh, it just doesn't happen a lot. I've, I've come back here three years ago and you just don't see a lot of the representation. And I suspect, well, I don't suspect, I know, uh, Irvin, that it's because the managers aren't, um, are mostly white, because the reporters are mostly white, because the editors are mostly white, uh, traditional um, uh, media. And, um, and it won't change, honestly, until maybe somebody like you takes over the world and, uh, and mm. you know, helps make a difference. Yeah, for sure. I would agree with that. Um, you know, it's hard to think of what's going on in that realm if you aren't part of that community, right? Like, it's easy for us to forget about stuff that is outside of community for everybody, right? So if everybody is the same demographic, you know, that's running these things, I could see why it would be easy for them to forget it. Like, oh, we should cover these people a little bit more or even know how to begin to cover those type of people and their experiences. So, um, and stories, not to interrupt you, but and stories that aren't mm -hmm. just about the way the pandemic has impacted um, mm -hmm. the uh, packing plants, how the ice raids have, have disrupted communities, but mm -hmm. stories about human beings and their, and not just their, their successes, but their failings and who they are and, and what's important to them. But what happens, I'm afraid, is that the stories you get in, in the last few months have been how decimated the Hispanic community has been by packing plants that were um, uh, affected uh, by the pandemic and not stories about the community that are success stories and highlight who they are like we do in other communities. That I think is where the media, the news media, we in the media have failed and continue failing. Yeah, I, I, I would agree. Um, obviously the pandemic did hurt that community a lot but they've also grown from it a lot you know that's that's what hasn't been highlighted you know the they have overcome the adversity right like they got hit with all this confusing things and but they still worked hard and overcame it and you know america is, loves an underdog story loves a loves a fighter story and uh, in some points, I don't know if you can get more of an underdog story than the Hispanic community, at least at this time in history right now, mm -hmm. uh, where they're kind of on the on the come up, really. And, you know, there's they have successes and failures um, that just aren't really highlighted. You know, this isn't intended to be a political question, and it isn't really. But clearly, the person who's in the White House now, the president, has a, a view of immigration that few other presidents uh, recently have had, like no other presidents recently have had. When Mexico sends its people, they're not sending their best. They're not sending you. They're not sending you. They're sending people that have lots of problems, and they're bringing those problems with us. They're bringing drugs. They're bringing crime. They're rapists. And some 
I assume are good people. What kind of impact has that been on you? And if you want to expand that on, on your family and, and your community and the people you care about? I guess the easiest way to sum that up is it made people scared, right? It made people worry for whether they were going to still be here tomorrow. Um, and I feel like they live in that fear more than they would normally because our community does have a lot of undocumented people. And, and you know, if you get pulled over or you, you know, you maybe have a taillight out or something and there is a possibility that maybe they see it like, Hey, they don't have, an ID, any sort of identification, and you know, who knows, ICE could get called and you could be gone, type of thing. All you have to do is you start. You should do a show from the from the border. Talk to the border security. You will see the kind of people coming. You'll see the kind of crime that's being committed. And we're taking these people. And by the way, just to fi finish on that, it's common sense. They don't want these people, so they send them to the United States because the United States is run by stupid people. We have stupid leadership. We have incompetent leadership that doesn't know what it's doing. So we take them. And certainly we do have killers and plenty of other problems coming over. But it felt like, especially the last four years, that that was just enhanced that fear of uncertainty was felt just across the entirety of the community i'm fortunate enough to be i'm a citizen of the u.s uh, but my parents are not my little brother is not so while i don't know i can't share the exact same fear that they do i obviously fear that of my parents being gone of my little brother being gone um, so that's still in the back of my mind, but I also feel like it's brought us closer. Like we've had to just band together more and kind of look out for each other more, um, because we want to be prepared if something happens, but also we want to not live in fear as well, you know, cause if that's how you're living your life, it's not, it's just not a good way to live. So we help each other this, like distract each other right we do as much as we can as far as advocating goes and just being there for for one another which is i think something that the hispanic community can do well um and then like for myself it's motivated me to get as educated as i can so i know how to help help my people um and then it just helped me want to be as involved as as involved in my own way as i can Are your parents um, comfortable with you being so open um, and, um, and and so readily are, are articulating your family story? At first, uh, you know, they were a little hesitant, um, as obviously you would be um, in that situation. But they support me in everything I do, and they're and they know that if that's what it takes to. Um, kind of convey a message and convey kind of what's going on, then, you know, they're all for it. Um, they're comfortable with their status. They know where they're at at the moment. And, you know, we're still kind of working through getting them the documentation. It just takes forever type of thing. It's expensive. So it's not something that we can just kind of do overnight. They're comfortable with it because that's their reality, right? That's just, that's their life. And um, 
they were put in that situation again to have to do it again, they would. So, you know, they're they're kind of always just like go for it and do what you have to do, and uh, you know, we support you. In, in in your community, in in you know, you came here from Mexico when you were young. You were here, then you went to Mexico, and you came back. Is there a is there a um, you know sueño americano? Is there is there an American dream? Is there is there something that can be summed up in that respect um, of you and 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 your family? I would say, for my family, it was always the. Well, at least for my parents, it was always try to provide a better future for my children than I had, right? Just have more opportunities. And I feel like that's what, that's what most Hispanic parents come here for, right? Like, they're just like, we just want to be able to provide a better future for our kids in whatever, and we'll do whatever it takes to do that, right? We'll do whatever job needs to be done. And that's kind of where, where they settle, right? It doesn't matter whether they're happy or not, or whether they're super quote unquote successful, as long as their kids end up being getting an education and getting a good paying job that doesn't require hard manual labor, then to them, that's mission accomplished. And I would say my parents are on that boat as well, that that's kind of what their mentality was with me and my siblings. Um, and for me, up until I started college, my, my whole goal was get into college, right? Get a college education. And Throughout my undergrad here, it's kind of been like, well, what's next? You know, I don't, all that was expected of me was to get to college and get an education, but, and I guess the next thing is to get a job, but uh, everything from here on out, that's on me, right? That's whatever I wish to do and whatever my American dream is, basically. So um, that's still a concept that I'm still exploring, you know? I think for me, my American dream right now is being able to start my own business right and, and be able to make a name for myself uh however i can through this this content that i'm producing um so that's kind of what my my dream is now but it's definitely kind of evolved throughout the years and in this in this media um content that you produce um do you think it helps make your your family's lives better it, it, it sounds like it's really important to your mother especially mm-hmm. Uh, because you do a, a program uh, in Spanish. Um, so are you, do you think you're helping your parents? You, you say they, they've done everything to help make you and your brother's lives better and that your life will be better than theirs. Are you in some way making theirs better by what you do? I think so. I think I'm helping them just be exposed to different concepts that maybe we haven't talked about enough. And, that, and I'm having more mature talk, kind of talks with my parents. Um, they listen to me more, I can tell. Um, they just kind of listen to what I have to say. And I don't know if it's because they feel like, oh, he's got an education or whatever. But um, I feel like my, my, my bond with my parents has grown even more as I've gotten older. And yeah, I would say the stuff that I make um, is helping them because they, they comment on it. They'll send me texts right after, after they watch it or they'll kind of ask me about things. Uh, so I, I at least know that they're watching it, um, which is good. Um, but yeah, I think it just kind of lets them be exposed to kind of where the world is transitioning to, as, as, at least as far as I think, um, you know, with the type of content that you get. And then it also, it helps them see my point of view a little bit better. 
and that's kind of the whole point of that whole series was to for them to be able to kind of kind of be able to bridge that gap between how I grew up here and how they grew up and even though I grew up in their household my world here was a, a heck of a lot different than theirs so you know I think now they're kind of understanding a little a few more things than they did back then. So if we're lucky enough to have a graduation ceremony in person in, in December and uh, you walk across the stage and you pick up that diploma uh, and your parents are there, what's it going to mean to them? Oh, I think it's going to mean the world to them because like I said to them, that was, that was a whole goal to start with. Right. Um, and their whole, their sacrifices will, will have been worth it. Um, you know, and, and then uh, I think, I guess I can't say whether it will be more to them than it will to me, but I know how much it'll mean to me um, just knowing that I was able to do that for them because I do know the sacrifices. I knew I did, I've lived this whole journey with them and, um, you know, I, I know the sleepless nights that we've had to go through, the long work hours, the just everything. And, you know, I'm very thankful for what they did, to, did for me and I'm very thankful for the way they raised me because with all the stuff that's, that goes on, you know, they could have easily said, don't get an education, you know, get, get yourself a job like us and help out the family. But they were always stubborn and no, you're going to get an education and you know, you're going to make it. So. Well, good for them. Good for them. And congratulations on uh, everything you've done. Irvin Ramirez Benavides is a community health and wellness major who produces media and would like to continue producing media. And why don't you take a second just again to tell us where we can find you and your work. Yeah, for sure. So um, the, the company name itself, the brand is Feel Good Digital Media, and you can find it on Instagram and Facebook with the same name. And then on YouTube as well with the same name, just Feel Good Digital Media. And then our, our podcast series within that realm is called Mindcation, like mind and then cation from vacation. Um, and you can find that on Spotify, Apple podcast or wherever you get your podcast from. Well, um, again, congratulations and thanks very much for um, sharing your story and the best of luck in, in uh, what you're doing and what you'd like to do. And we'll wake up one day and, and you'll be the guy who's hiring lots and lots of people and making lots of uh, uh, movies and videos and podcasts. And, and uh, we won't have to have these conversations about um, why people like you aren't more represented. So thanks again for your time and congrats. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Thank you for having me. This is Watch the Media. I'm John Schrader. We come your way from the University of Nebraska-Lincoln in the College of Journalism and Mass Communications and the studios of 90.3 FM KRNU. Thanks so much for being with us, and we'll see you next time.